good morning, everyone. Uh, welcome to the kickoff of our fall Sunday school schedule um, and starting a new book together, the Book of Romans. Uh, let me open us and a word of prayer before we dive in to Paul's letter to the Romans. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we do praise you for the good news of your gospel, the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was born of a woman, uh, took on flesh, lived a life of perfect righteousness, and then died a perfect sacrificial death that we, uh, by faith, can be made righteous through and in him and uh, equipped for a life of obedience in response to that grace that you've given us. Uh, truly, uh, what glorious good news. And we thank you uh, for your servant, Paul, that he has written uh, this letter to the Romans that is uh, about that gospel. First and foremost, it is a proclamation of the good news of God to sinners uh, like us. And we thank you that this letter that he wrote to uh, people in the first century uh, still speaks to us directly this day uh, by the power of your spirit. And so we do pray that that spirit uh, would reign richly among us uh, today and in the future weeks as we study this book together. Uh, may it work in us even as uh, Paul said of his longing to be with the Romans, that he could be with them to strengthen them, and that by being with them, they would in turn strengthen him. So may studying this book uh, together, may we strengthen one another, may we teach one another, may we rejoice with one another, may we challenge one another, uh, all for the sake of uh, giving you glory and growing in your wonderful grace. Lord, uh, we ask that uh, Christ would be with us this day and teach us by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right, so I am really excited. This is the first opportunity, and who knows, maybe the only opportunity I'll ever uh, have to teach the book of Romans. Um, uh, as, as we start... Um, and trying to think about, I don't want to spend too much time on introductory stuff. I like to just jump in and let Paul tell us what his purpose in writing the book is. Um, but I thought we could, uh, Luther introduces his commentary to the Romans this way, and I just think it's a, a beautiful um, encapsulation of why um, I wanted to study this book with you uh, this semester. Uh, Luther says, this epistle is really the chief part and the very purest gospel and is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And so that's uh, my hope, is as we study this presentation of the gospel together, for that's what Romans really is. Um, some people describe it 
oh, it's more of a systematic theology than uh, one of Paul's normal letters. Um, systematic theology makes it sound too intellectual. Paul's purpose here is more transformative. Um, as Tim Keller says about the book of Romans, the book of Romans has changed the world because it's fundamentally about a gospel that transforms human hearts. Um, and uh, so as we think about the, the book together uh, today and the coming weeks, I want us to always think about uh, the gospel-centric nature of this book and how its purpose is to transform us, um, not only to bring people to faith, but to build our faith um, through this good news, this gospel. Um, it's a different book. Um, for those of you who've read the New Testament, you might have noticed uh, Paul's letter to the Romans is a little different than his others' letters, and, and we we'll, can talk some about why that might be. Um, part, part of the difference is this isn't a church that Paul started. This isn't even a church Paul has visited. <laughs> This is Paul writing a letter to people he has not yet met. Um, and we can think about like um, how that shapes. Like, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm like the world's worst networker. <laughs> um, I'm not the, like, my friend Kate can go in a room and in like 20 minutes, she'll know everybody in the room and be, have all their emails and contact information. And I'll be like the wallflower over in the corner. Um, or my friend Seth says, I don't understand the social part of social media. Um, I'm terrible at networking. But uh, there's a skill to, like, you know, introducing yourself to someone you've never met before. Um, and, and Paul, in a sense, is doing that. Um, and we'll see that particularly this morning in the first half of chapter 1. Um, so, so that accounts, I think, for some of the difference. Um, for those of you who like to know these kind of things, um, he probably wrote it around 56, 57 AD. Um, usually people date it to sometime during Paul's third missionary journey. Some people think he wrote it in Macedonia, uh, Acts 20. Uh, at the very beginning, Paul has three months uh, where it doesn't say much about what he's doing in Macedonia. So some people say, well, that would have been a good time um, during this Macedonian sojourn that he wrote the book. Um, other people date it to his time in Corinth, uh, based on some of the people later in the book that he sends greetings to the Romans from. Um, but, but roughly somewhere um, during Paul's uh, third missionary journey, um, he sat down to write this book uh, to a church he had not yet met. Um, and we'll, uh, today, um, and normally we try to do, a, a, or in the past, I've tried to do a chapter a week. Uh, that's not happening. <laughs> uh, we're, I'm hoping for a half chapter a week. <laughs> um, we're going to, I'm, I'm, I'm taking liberty of my one, maybe one and only chance of my life to teach on the book of Romans to, to, to do it fully. Um, so today, um, I'd like for us to study, uh, think about the first half of the book. Um, uh, we might do verses 16 and 17. I might do a whole week on verses 6 and 17 because um, verses 16 and 17, Paul is really laying out the theme of the book of Romans. And so I think it's worth um, camping and spending a little more time on that. But for today, I'll go ahead and read verses 1 through 17 from Paul's letter to the Romans. Hear now the word of God. <clears throat> 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ, our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have intended to come to you, but have thus far been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Thus far, God's holy word, may he bless it as we discuss it this morning and use it to encourage our hearts. So, um, so let's start with this idea of, uh, of writing a letter to someone you know, you've never met. So how does Paul identify himself to the Romans? What descriptors um, does he assign to himself as he lays his calling card, so to speak, on the table? Yeah, he's a servant of Jesus Christ. And that word servant there, I don't, I don't know why Bible translators use it, it's slave. Like, I, I don't know why we not use the full intention and meaning of the word. This is doulos. This is slave. This is, um, you know, in, in Greek, it's, it's, it's a dirty word in a sense. Like, it's not something people would normally assign to them. Hey, I'm a slave. <laughs> um, uh, but but yeah, as Ronnie says, first and foremost, he's a slave. Um, and he's the slave of Christ Jesus. And what's really important here is that second part of the ascription. That's what turns a dirty word into a word that Paul can, can, is proud enough to put on his calling card first and foremost. He, 
it's the Jesus Christ part. That, that's who he belongs to. Um, some people, and I think this might be reading a little too much into um, the audience, but we have like letters from slaves from Caesar's household, and some people like connect us to Paul as doing that, like you know, so and so, a slave of you know Augustus and all his titles, like. Uh, but it's the second part is, you know, the, that who you're a slave to is what makes the difference. I, I would think it's more, it's, it's slave um, in the sense of the way that Moses and David and so many prophets of the Old Testament describe themselves um, that um, they um, belong. It's an honor to be a servant, to be a slave of God. Um, the term expresses the total belongingness, total allegiance corresponding to the total ownership and authority denoted by Lord when used of Christ. So first and foremost, he's a slave of Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. He puts Christ intentionally first there, I think, for a reason. Good. So a slave. What else does Paul put on the table on his calling card? I heard it. Say it out loud, Bill. He's apostle. So, yeah, why do you think he, he brings that one? Called to be an apostle. Yeah, Rob. Absolutely. So just as servant or slave is a term of humility, apostle here, it's, it's, it's a claim of authority, but it's a humble claim of authority. It's not, I'm writing to you out of my own intellect. I'm at writing to you to my own prowess. I'm not writing to you because you really need to hear what I have to say to you. He's an apostle. He's a sent one. Um, the word here indicates that Paul claims the attention of the Roman church not on the ground of his own personal worth and wisdom, but because of the commission that God, that Christ has given him, um, that he is a sent one, and he's coming as a messenger. Um, and so what he brings uh, in this letter isn't, what's important about what he brings in this letter, isn't a message from himself, but it's a message from the one who has sent him. <laughs> he, he's like, you know, it's sort of like, you know, uh, I am, you know, a representative of this person, and here's the message. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, in, in a sense, he's saying he's the, you know, glorified delivery boy here. <laughs> um, it's not something, you know, personal. It's not a personal letter. It's a purposeful letter that he is writing on the basis of the message that God has given him to proclaim um, to not just the Romans, as we see in this first chapter, but to everyone. Um, but in this case, he's particularizing it to these particular group of people.
Yeah, he, and, and we'll see that. Uh, and, and with that day, like, I think the controversial part and the we might miss the, the um, indignity that might be caused by this association, but Paul himself alludes to that later in verse 16, for I'm not ashamed. Like, he, he's not ashamed to be associated with Christ. In fact, it's the basis of his authority. It's the basis of his, um, of who he is. Um, it has changed who he is fundamentally, his encounter with Jesus Christ. And far from being ashamed of it, it's that is his one hope um, and, and the hope he wants everyone to share. Good. All right, so slave, apostle, one more. What's the third thing he says about himself in this first verse? He's set apart. So what does that mean? Um, what, I mean, and we can just think about what does it mean to set something apart? Like, maybe an example is, there are dishes in my mother's house that I don't think anyone's ever eaten off of. <laughs> They are set apart. <laughs> um, you know, they're on the wall, displayed nicely. Um, they're, they're set apart from common, everyday use. They have a particular designated purpose. These are dishes not to eat on, but to look at. And if you know what they are, I don't. <laughs> um, be impressed by them, I suppose. Um, uh, or set apart in the sense of to sanctify. Um, or to make holy. Um, it's it's a, a word of consecration. Um, and so what Paul is saying, to be set apart for the gospel of God is this gospel, this good news, um, has, um, is, is emphasizing that it's, it's different. It's not from men, um, it's from God. Um, uh, Paul, in the beginning of Galatians, um, kind of gives a, maybe a fuller description of what it means to be set apart. Um, there he says, um, I am sent not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So it's that idea of God has, um, has set him apart. He's, he's taken him out of, you know, Paul and what Paul... Um, was supposed to be doing and has given him this particular purpose. Um, it's like, you know, probably your boss does what my boss sometimes, like, Steve, drop what you're doing and do this one task. Forget everything else <laughs> and just focus on this. And it's that kind of idea that Paul has been set apart for this purpose, for the gospel of God. Um, uh, so the gospel, um, uh, you know, again, it's one of those words that we've become really familiar with and, and may, might miss some of um, the, the different um, aspects of it. But good news, so it has an Old Testament context, um, that promise, prophecy context of, of God's um, proclamation of good news, uh, his promises regarding salvation. In a Roman context, the, the word here, euangelion, which we get, you know, evangelical, or evangel is gospel, evangelical is a person who believes the gospel. Um, 
you know, euangelion was actually in a Roman context, again, associated with the emperor. So it is a proclamation from the emperor about some um, enormous event, uh, you know, a birth of victory. It's, it's like, like the British do when, you know, a baby's born to the royal household. You know, the guy in the fancy suit goes out and, like, unrolls the little thing and reads it and posts it in front of Buckingham Palace. It's, it's that kind of, it is a proclamation. The gospel is God's authoritative proclamation of good news to man. So, um, so yeah, so that's how Paul is introducing himself. Now, normally in a letter, you know, uh, you know in, in a Greek letter, you have the sender, you have who's the recipient, and then you have some kind of introductory greeting formula. Um, so if we're doing a typical Greek letter, it would probably read, take verses 1 and 7 together. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Sender, recipient, greetings. Um, except in Romans, we have five additional verses between you know, crammed in the middle of that normal formula. So Paul, and it's the longest opening, not just in the New Testament, but in any surviving Greek letter. Um, so this is really unusual um, for what Paul's doing here. So why? So why does he add verses two through six to his letter opening? What is being communicated in this section that's so important that Paul has to Again, like before he even finishes the, you know, writing the address on the letter, <laughs> that he has to write this and get this in here. So what's going on in verses two through six here that's so important that right in this introductory formula, Paul has to wedge it in there. Yeah, so he, and to like step back a little before we start getting into those, those great parts you're bringing out, he, in a sense, is defining what that last you know, phrase in verse 1 means. The gospel of God. You know, I am set apart for the gospel of God, which, and then he goes on into that description. And part of that gospel of God is absolutely centered on who Jesus Christ is as the Son of God. Um, so the, the good news, the proclamation. So it's like, again, like thinking about, you know, what's the good news of the proclamation? He goes right into it. That's the most important thing uh, that he can do is like make this formal announcement even before he's finished, um, you know, writing the, the address on the letter. Like, the gospel, and then he starts to define it. Yeah, Jay. Yeah. 
yeah, it's, it's good news. It's not new news. <laughs> like, um, like, it's good news, which, which God had foretold in the prophets, written down in the Holy Scriptures. Like, so he's connecting the message he's presenting to them with the message that God has been proclaiming all along. Um, you know, and it has, what's new about it is what, you know, those prophets foresaw, now everybody this side of the cross looks back on, you know, the reality. So they looked forward to it, we look back to it, but we're all looking to the same good news. Um, it's that, you know, they foretold of old, they were looking forward to this moment in time, and now that moment in time has come. Um, what God had foretold has now come to pass, and that is what Paul is now proclaiming to, to the believers in Rome. Or, you know, he's not introducing them to the gospel, but he's, that's what has caused him to be an apostle. This is the good news that he's, he longs to share in with the Romans. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's what connects him to them. And again, like thinking, like if you're writing a letter to someone like that you've never met, usually you have some kind of explanation in like, why am I writing? <laughs> um, like, or why you? Or, 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 and you often will do it by, hey, you know, like, uh, like again, terrible at networking, but I had a professor who made me do it when I was applying to grad schools. Um, and so I wrote to John Butler um, at Yale, and and I think in the first or second line, so and so said, I like so like, you know, I'm I'm not just introducing myself blind. Like I'm writing you on the basis of my our common connection to this person. Um, so and that's why I'm being so bold as to write to you, um, you know, and and so you know it, it created a chain like. I can write to you because of our common connection to this person. In a sense, Paul's doing that here, but what connects them is the good news of Jesus Christ. Um, that is the personal connection. And so he's establishing right off his connection to Jesus Christ, his authoritative connection to Jesus Christ. And it's on the basis of that connection to Jesus that Paul can be bold to write to the Romans, even though they don't know each other. They have this common connection to, to the power and the um, grace and faith in Christ Jesus. Good. What else uh, strikes you about this introductory uh, definition of the gospel? Yeah, Mike.
yeah, as he writes to an audience uh, in the church at Rome at this time, um, and, and ha has Jews and Gentiles in it, so he's writing to both. So part of that ascription, or as you say, he, he's rooting um, who Jesus is uh, in time and space, what has been prophesied of old, the identity of who this messianic savior is supposed to be um, in this kingly line. Um, so he's, he's rooting him in, in you know, particular fulfillment of a particular prophetic tradition. Um, and he's also establishing his human nature, like according to the flesh. Like, uh, and so he is a son of David, but that's not all he is. Um, that's who he is in terms of his human nature, but that human nature doesn't bind or you know, doesn't limit, doesn't fully contain who he is. Um, you know, but according to the flesh, he's this descendant of David. He is one of that messianic line, that kingly line that's been foretold that, that you've been awaiting for, for centuries you know, that's who Jesus is, uh, according to the flesh. Yeah, John. Yeah, so I mean, I think one thing to say is it's he's writing to people who are already believers, so he's not doing it um, to uh, you know to as a Jewish man trying to bring Gentiles to faith. He's doing it as a Gentile believe or Jewish believer writing to Gentile believers. So um, so he's establishing, and, and that's going to be an enormous theme of the letter. It doesn't matter what your background is. We all need the same gospel. Jew and Greek need the same gospel. Wise and fool need the same gospel. Greek and barbarian need the same gospel. Like it's, it's not a different message for one audience versus the other. It's the same good news for all mankind, for all the nations. Um, so it's not uh, ethnic specific. It's not well, this is gospel, you know, a master's class. You other people need to go get your introductory lessons somewhere else. No, it's, it's, this is, message is for everyone. Um, it's the good news for everyone, regardless of who they are. Because what's important, and what's important about Paul, isn't who Paul is. What's important is, is who Paul served. Um, so, you know, as we think about, like, so verse 2 kind of establishes the source of the gospel. The, you know, the gospel comes from what has been written, you know, the prophets of the old. And then the content of the gospel, who Jesus is. And then those, that, that 5 and 6 talk about how, you know, how the gospel has empowered Paul to bring this message to him. So it's on the basis of who Christ is, is what... Um, uh, is the central part of Paul's message and is why he's bringing it to the Romans.
Yes, uh, Alicia first. And then. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, like there's one tradition that it's Peter who went and founded the church in Rome. Um, and, and again, we don't have a description in scripture. Um, the more likely um, that, or, you know, the first Christians in Rome probably showed up almost immediately after Pentecost. Because if you think on the day of Pentecost, people are there from everywhere. Um, and Rome is the hub. <laughs> like, you know, it's the hub of this empire. Um, you know, and so as the hub of the empire even if no one has purposely gone there, just because the way it draws people from everywhere, the gospel, you know, came in, probably like literally kind of trickled in. So, so you can either, th some people thought of it as the result of purposeful missionary work, but I would say other people have argued more likely it's, it's the unintentional spread of just people. Um, and with, with Rome being the, the, like, you know, all roads lead to Rome kind of idea. Like, everybody, you know, who, who circulates in this world ends up there sometime. Um, uh, so, so that um, is the usual, one of those two options is, is the usual story for how the gospel came to Rome. focusing on the person, like who this is. He's human, but he's also God. Um, like, you know, and we, it's easy, it, as, as I was looking at it, it's a lot like um, what Paul's doing in second chapter of Philippians, where, you know, you have that great, like, hymn of, of Christ. Christ humbled himself and all the subject of all the verbs in the first part of this Christ hymn is what Christ did. And then in the second half, so Christ humbled. Um, and then the second half is God exalts. So therefore God set him at the right hand. And a similar thing's happening here. Like according to the flesh, he is a descendant of David. He's a human being. But that's not all who he is. Like he's the son of God um, who at his resurrection stepped into, you know, the power and authority in a way that when he was a human, like as we sing at Christmas, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. It's like, as a human, we don't, if we're just looking at him as a human, we don't see all of who he is. Um, because he, he, he's man, yes, absolutely true, descendant of David, absolutely. But he's more than that. He's the son of God 
empowered at God's right hand, possessing the scepter of all authority, and it's on the basis of him, who he is, that all this other stuff about um, faith and grace and salvation from sin and the righteousness of God, all that is possible because of who Jesus is. Like, he can, he can bring righteousness to us because he's God. He is perfectly righteous and has an infinite righteousness. And he can bring it to us because he's one of us. He's a human being. And that's like, you know, um, Anselm's Why God Became Man. Like, it, it's the story that you, you can't have salvation without the incarnation. The incarnation was absolutely necessary. And the good news, and that's why we call the, the you know, the Gospels, um, the good news are the stories of Jesus. That's the good news. Because it's not just what he's done for us. It's him. <laughs> His glorious appearing. Emmanuel. God with us. Yeah, Chris. Yeah, it's kind of like I, I do this, um, or sometimes uh, I, I do this exercise with my students where I take a, a painting and like I might just show them the top corner and you know like, all right, what do you what do you see? And then we expand it a little, like what do you see now? And then a little more, what do you see now? And it's Revelation is kind of like that. But once you've taken all the blinders off and you see the picture fully as is, like you could see hints, like. Like one, I'm particularly, I'm thinking like, okay, they know it's a nautical print because they see the waves over here and this one's got fish and, and then, but it all makes sense once the full thing's fully been, been revealed. And it's that, as you say, the curtain's been pulled back. Um, you know, what was seen through a veil is now seen face to face. Um, we, you know, um, what we saw in shadows now we see in the full light of God's revelation. Yeah, Bill. Yep. <laughs> yep. Including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Like, um, and again, the, like that idea of we're all called to be we're all called to be servants. We're all called to be children. We all belong to the household of God. So, again, they don't know each other, but really, they're the same family. Kind of like me, like I, I just found out um, 
this past year that um, one of my cousin's daughters, and for you, like, chastising for not keeping track what goes on in my family. I have 64 first cousins, so I can't possibly keep track of what they're all doing. But one of my cousin's daughters, um, uh, one of them is married to the RUF campus minister at Alabama, um, and the other one is an intern at uh, Sanford. She, she has three daughters, but so two of them um, have come to faith in Christ. I had no idea. Like, my cousin Frances got married in a Catholic church, she and her husband, Jimmy, go to the super liberal Presbyterian church in Nashville. So it was like news to me. So I'm so looking forward. And I've never met, or I, I think I've met these cousins. What are cousins' children? Cousins once removed. I don't um, so I've never met these cousins once removed, um, except when maybe they were little children and we, I think we had bumped into them at a fireworks show or something. So they have no idea who I am. So I'm so looking forward to like when I meet them and be like, hey, <laughs> you don't know me, um, but we have this shared relationship. Um, and it's that, you know, that idea here. Paul, you don't know me, but we have this shared relationship. We're both called by Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Son of David, empowered by the spirit of holiness through his resurrection. We are connected to that one person. Okay, good. Well, let's shift to this next little part, um, which if you have an ESV, it's titled Longing to Go to Rome. Again, these little titles, sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't. I'm not thrilled with this one. Um, But in verses um, 8 through 15, we really get Paul's... um, uh, Yeah, Paul's describing his relationship to the Romans. Um, So he he has his opening, and now he's getting into, um, you know, why he's thankful for them and why he's writing to them and who they are to him. So who are the Romans to Paul? Um, What actions has Paul been doing, wants to do in relationship to the Romans? to the church in Rome. Who are the Romans to Paul? Yeah, and a lot of the letter is is on, you know, is going to go back and forth, Gentiles and Jews. Um, But, um, so some people wonder if he's, um, like, this is, I mean, Rome is about the most Gentile place in the world you can get at this moment. So even though Jews live there, like, it's the Gentile capital. Um, Like, the same way we might identify, like, oh, I don't know. Like, like you say Las Vegas, and that, like, conveys certain things about, like, you know, uh, sin and debauchery and uh, um, the word that, that's going to, Paul's going to use later in this first chapter um, uh, for lust, the, the root of that word is really over-desire. So we think of Las Vegas, that, I don't, like, that's the place of over-desire. But there are believers there. Like, you know, there are churches there, um, faithful, God-believing churches, even though, like, you know, we might use Las Vegas as our equivalent to, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah or something. Um, but they're even there. 
um, they're believers. So some people think that he's emphasizing the Gentileness of, of Rome because this is the, um, the epitome of the Gentile world, what happens in Rome. Yeah, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. Why? Because they're Christians and, like, you know, uh, like they've done something. (laughs) No, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. People know that here in the heart of the Roman capital, there are people of faith, Um, you know, and, and... I was thinking of this like a lot in terms of our, um, you know, our practice of like having these little inserts in the bulletin that introduce us to Christians in the world. And even though, like, we can, um, you know, with them like pray and say how long and and pray for the um, afflicted circumstances they're in, I I also pray thank God that they are believers even there in a place with a repressive regime where there's someone actively trying to suppress the gospel of Jesus Christ, where you could be killed for saying you're a believer, and yet there are believers there. Like, so it's something like, so I hope you use those prayer inserts, not just to pray for their specific needs, but to praise God uh, that the gospel is going forth, that even there, in the darkest corner of this world, there are people of faith, and we can praise and rejoice and thank God for that. Good. Who else? Other Romans. Yeah, Ron. Yeah, and that that obligation, like, um, like it's like the root of that word is debt. Like he has a debt. Like he owes them something. Um, and like, what well, Paul? You've never met them. What have they given to you that has created an obligation? And it's not an obligation that Paul has personally incurred from the Romans. It's an obligation laid upon him by by Christ. You know, to 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 bring them something to go there to bring this this gospel and share it with them and be encouraged as you say encouraged by them um, like he's under a debt to do that um, it's the way uh, um, like let's say you know somebody gives me money to give to you know Scott like so as the moment that I'm given that money even though I didn't get the money from Scott like I'm I have an obligation to keep that link going. In a sense, I'm now in debt for whatever that sum is until I pay it to Scott, even though I didn't personally 
incur the debt from him. And so it's that kind of idea that Christ has laid this obligation on Paul to deliver. Um, and as you say, this, this last verse is, is kind of a total verse. It's, it's not just he's obliged particularly to the Romans. He's obliged to everyone. Um, and as you think of that, um, Greeks, barbarians, wise and foolish, it's not, he's not thinking of specific parties in the church. Like, oh yeah, he's writing to me. I'm one of the foolish ones. Um, this is to total language. Like, that's how the Greeks describe the world. They're Greeks and barbarians. <laughs> um, and barbarians, it has pejorative connotations for us, and it probably did for the Greeks too, but it, it was more like a synonym for people, non-Greeks. Um, like, that's what, that they were barbars, because uh, that's what they sounded like. It's like, you know, they, they, like, you can't understand them. <laughs> they, they talk barbar. Um, and so that's kind of the idea. They're, they're non-Greeks. Um, so he's, he's sent to Greeks and non-Greeks, the Greeks and the barbarians. He's sent to the wise and to the foolish. Like, again, this is totalitarian or total language. Like, it, it encapsulates everybody. Like, you know, and it implies everything in between. So um, for the Greeks and for the barbarians, the wise and the foolish, not trying to like, okay, you know, these, because there can be wise barbarians and foolish barbarians. There can be wise Greeks and foolish Greeks. Um, so, but it encapsulated everyone. And he's in an, under an obligation because of the gospel. Um, and, and that's why he's eager to preach to them. Not because they haven't heard it, um, but because they are, have heard it. And so he wants to preach that gospel to them. It's not just for bringing people to faith, it's for building people in faith. So the gospel, you know, again, we never graduate from the gospel and move on to something else. Um, as Luther says, we just get deeper and deeper and deeper into it and love it more and more and more. We don't graduate to some other message. No, this is the message that brings us to the faith, and this is the message that builds us in faith. Absolutely, and I love what Calvin has a great um, description or comment on this passage. Note how modestly he expresses what he feels by not refusing, uh, um, to, not refusing to be strengthened from inexperienced believers. He means that what he says, for there is none so void of gifts in the church of Christ who cannot in some measure contribute to our spiritual progress. Ill will and pride, however, prevent our deriving such benefit from one another. So, like, he could put on airs and sort of like, yeah, you know, I, it's, I'm coming to teach you. Um, and lest he says that, I am coming to teach you, but lest that be misunderstood and to be strengthened by you. I'm coming to strengthen you and be strengthened by you. 
Because again, that's what believers do. They build one another up in the faith. So even though Paul might have a longer history with this gospel, a deeper grasp of this gospel, they all, they all have the same and share the same beliefs and they can all build up and strengthen one another. And it's only, as Calvin says, ill will or pride that prevents us from deriving that benefit. Yeah, Tim. Yeah, absolutely. Like, and again, it's the same way I think uh, as uh, I want to, I'm always terrible about application. So I'm, one of my goals for my teaching this year is to, to leave some time for application. So maybe we can shift into that stage of our class as we think about this. Um, to think about how we are connected to believers who we've never met. And we can, as Paul does, pray for them always, but also be encouraged by them um, to, to, uh, to know their circumstances and their acts of faith and to be built up and encouraged and challenged by that. Um, even as Paul does in this passage, like he, he is, he's without ever meet, having met these people, he's been so encouraged. And so that's the first thing he wants to tell them. I thank God for you every day. I pray for you always. I long to be with you um, because I've heard of your faith and you've strengthened me in my faith and I want to come strengthen you in, in, in your faith and we'll strengthen one another. David, you had your hand. No, it's, it's a joyful, like he rejoices in this obligation. Like he's excited <laughs> that, uh, you know, he's been given this, uh, you know, burden to carry to them. He's excited that he's a slave of Christ and he is charged and set apart for this particular purpose. And as you say, like it's different from our worldly obligations in that this is an obligation that frees him to, to serve the God whom he loves. You know, and it's, it's the way that, as Paul presents it in Romans, this is the response of faith. Like, our works are drudgery if we're doing them to gain God's approval. Our works are a joy when we're doing them in response to what God has done for us. Like, it's different. It, you know, um, that, you know, by switching works come from faith rather than works build to faith. Like it switches it from a, a, a burdensome obligation to a joyful response. Yeah.
Yeah, every mission trip I've ever been on, I don't know what good I did for the people I visited, but boy, they sure did good for me. <laughs> um, you know, serving in, in churches and other contexts, like every single time, like I've been um, blown away by the faith of believers I've met in other contexts. Um, and, and we need to think about this, like this mutual building up and strengthening of one another in this room, you know, in this body, this is what we do by sharing our stories. I mean, that's one of the reasons, you know, there are lots of benefits of being an elder, but I think one of my favorite benefits is hearing people give their testimony. Like, I love hearing people share their, because they're all so different, um, and and they're all so encouraging to, to, to me to see how God has worked in such different ways in people's lives. Um, it's a beautiful thing. So it's something we can do both inwardly um, amongst the believers here in our local place, but it's also something we need to be doing as Paul does, you know, with believers we've never met. Um, you know, uh, this idea of, you know, he, that, you know, we've benefited from the testimony of other believers in other parts of the world and, and we long to share that with them. Absolutely. And I've, you know, at, Yeah, I'm, 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 I'm laughing because I'm thinking of one particular time Dana and I were, um, we were staying not in Bath, England, but outside Bath. And so we like looked for the closest evangelical church to us. And that's where we, we had, we didn't have a car. So we walked there like a couple of miles to this, this tiny, tiny, it was this tiny little church um, that was actually started by Whitfield you know, hundreds of years ago, and it was very different <laughs> from theological and worship tradition than we're used to, but it was a joy to, like, worship with people in a, you know, from a very different context than, than we are, as you say, so that is another, like, you know, take those opportunities to, to worship with other believers. All right, well, um, we're at time, so let me uh, close with some prayer. Gracious God, uh, we thank you for your proclamation of this good news, um, the good news of the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, and it is uh, Christ Jesus that unites us to one another, that um, uh, we, though we are many parts, um, are made, knitted into one body in Christ Jesus, um, and that uh, we're united to one another and to believers, even though we have no personal connection to them, that um, in a sense we're indebted to them because of the faith of people that have gone for, before us um, and, and people who've affected the people who've affected us. Um, there are these long chains of, of indebtedness that we have to one another because of our common um, Savior, 
Jesus Christ um, and the work that he's done for us. Lord God, encourage us um, to be open with one another and to lift one another up with, in, in prayer as Paul does, um, using this total language of all and always um, to express uh, the, the breadth of praying for one another. May we be a church uh, characterized um, by that, um, by those practices. And um, may we be a church that seeks not only to build others up in faith, but uh, can be encouraged and built up by others in our mutual service of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, help us encourage us, uh, encourage one another in the short time we have, uh, and then help us to encourage one another uh, in worship. Uh, in the coming hour uh, as we glory in the good news of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen.